Today is the second day of July. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I'm Brian. It's great to be here with you. I guess we are through the threshold and we are squarely in the month of July. We're in the seventh month of the year. And there's no going back. There's only going forward. And so that's what we'll do. We'll continue taking steps forward as we move our way through the scriptures. And uh, just to kind of have the lay of the land, we have uh, a couple of days left in uh, the book of Second Kings, and then we will have completed First and Second Kings. And before this month is out, we will have uh, read the entirety of First Chronicles and gotten our way into Second Chronicles. And then in the New Testament for the month of August, we will complete the book of Acts and uh, then begin to move our way through the book of Romans, which will be the first of Paul's writings that we encounter. But uh, that's, that's a bit over a week from now. So let's settle into where we are. We're reading from the Christian Standard Bible this week. Today, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. Through 22, verse 2. In those days, Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Isaiah had not yet gone out of the inner courtyard when the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. This is what the Lord, God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the Lord's temple. I will add 15 years to your life. I will rescue you and this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. And Isaiah said, Bring a lump of pressed figs. So they brought it and applied it to his infected skin, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I will go up to the Lord's temple on the third day? Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. Should the shadow go ahead ten steps, or go back ten steps? Then Hezekiah answered, It's easy for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. No, let the shadow go back ten steps. So the prophet Isaiah called out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back the ten steps that had descended on the stairway of Ahaz. At that time, Moradak Beladin, son of Beladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah since he heard that he had been sick. Hezekiah listened to the letters and showed the envoys his whole treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, 
and the precious oil, and his armory, and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his palace and in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and asked him, Where did these men come from, and what did they say to you? Hezekiah replied, They came from a distant country, from Babylon. Isaiah asked, What have they seen in your palace? Hezekiah answered, They have seen everything in my palace. There isn't anything in my treasuries that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not? If there will be peace and security during my lifetime. The rest of the events of Hezekiah's reign along with all his might and how he made the pool and the tunnel and brought water into the city, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Hezekiah rested with his fathers and his son Manasseh became king in his place. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Habzibah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed and re-established the altars for Baal. He made an Asherah as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed and worshipped to all the stars in the sky and served them. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where I will put my name. He built altars to all the stars in the sky in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He sacrificed his son in the fire, practiced witchcraft and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Manasseh set up the carved image of Asherah, which he made in the temple that the Lord had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. I will never again cause the feet of the Israelites to wander from the land I gave to their ancestors. If only... They will be careful to do all I have commanded them, the whole law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. Manasseh caused them to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Since King Manasseh of Judah has committed all these detestable acts, worse evil than the Amorites who preceded him had done. 
and by means of his idols has also caused Judah to sin. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I am about to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that everyone who hears about it will shudder. I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line used on Samaria and the mason's level used on the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem clean as one wipes a bowl, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and hand them over to their enemies. They will become plunder and spoil to all their enemies, because they have done what is evil in my sight and have angered me from the day their ancestors came out of Egypt until today. Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to another. This was in addition to his sin that he caused Judah to commit, so that they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. The rest of the events of Manasseh's reign, along with all his accomplishments and the sin that he committed, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, the garden of Uzzah. His son, Ammon, became king in his place. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, daughter of Haruz. She was from Jotbah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways his father had walked. He served the idols his father had served, and he bowed in worship to them. He abandoned the Lord God of his ancestors and did not walk in the ways of the Lord. Ammon's servants conspired against him and put the king to death in his own house. The common people killed all who had conspired against King Ammon, and they made his son Josiah king in his place. The rest of the events of Ammon's reign, along with all his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. He was buried in his tomb in the Garden of Uzzah, and his son Josiah became king in his place. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or the left. Acts 21, 18-36 The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you 
that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have made a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. So the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was stirred up, and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander approached, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. Since he was not able to get reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taken into the barracks. When Paul got to the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mass of people followed, yelling, Get rid of him! Psalm 150 Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Praise God in His sanctuary! Praise Him in His mighty expanse! Praise Him for His powerful acts! Praise Him for His abundant greatness. Praise Him with trumpet blast. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Proverbs 18, 
9 in 10. The one who is lazy in his work is brother to a vandal. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. Okay, so in the book of Acts, right, we first followed along with the apostle Peter. Then we got to know Saul, who became Paul, and we've been traveling on these missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul, who was instructed to go back to Jerusalem, and we went along with him as he went port to port on his way back to Jerusalem, uh, visiting with the believers who he had nurtured, and uh, pretty much they all told him the same thing, don't go back to Jerusalem, it's going to be bad news. Of course, Paul was aware of this, Uh, Through the Holy Spirit's counsel, he kind of had an idea of what was coming, and yet uh, it was important that he obey God, right? not the counsel of everybody else. So he went to Jerusalem, and that is what we got to experience today, Paul arriving back in Jerusalem. And the reason that I'm recapping again is because we are touching up against serious serious issues in the early church issues that are still with us today issues that will and should challenge us issues that people are spouting off everywhere all of the time uh, on a continual basis and that is fundamentally this who gets to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who gets to do that? Who gets to be in? So let's explore this. As we read in the book of Acts today, when Paul arrived back to Jerusalem and the church leaders met with him, they essentially said, look, thousands of Jewish people are now following the Lord Jesus Christ. They are following the way. They have embraced the teachings of Jesus and have found a more comprehensive way of obeying the Mosaic law and living into their faith. But they are devout about their faith and they and we are hearing things uh, coming back here to Jerusalem that you are out all over the world saying, You don't have to uh, observe circumcision. You don't have to obey the Mosaic law in order to follow Jesus. So two very different viewpoints. And we're going to talk about this as we continue our way all the way through the New Testament because there's no avoiding it if you're looking for it. And the issues are so fundamental that they affect us until today. So on the one hand, you have Jesus who is Jewish, who, uh, who ministered under, inside within the Jewish context. And so, of course, Jewish people began to follow the rabbi. They began to follow Jesus and obey his teachings and even put their faith in him and believe in him. But they never, ever um, considered the idea that they would be leaving their Jewish heritage and faith. Jesus never called them to leave their Hebrew roots. And he said with his own mouth, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So 
So that's where they're coming from. At the same time, the apostles, including Peter, and obviously the apostle Paul has now become the apostle to the Gentiles, they saw with their own eyes, they witnessed in their own ministry the Holy Spirit coming upon Gentiles. They saw Jesus come into the lives of households who had never heard anything about Jesus or Judaism. So, I mean, this caused dissonance for them. This is like something to figure out because on the one hand, the Hebrew religion, Judaism, had always been very exclusive. These were God's chosen people. Like this is a very exclusive people with a very exclusive religion. And yet then this rabbi comes, so Jesus comes, the son of God comes, but they're all, you know, all of those things are what people are thinking about Jesus. Like not everyone is like, oh, uh, the Virgin Mary. Yeah, of course, he's the son of God. Like some people dismissed Jesus completely outright. Some people believed he was a wise and beyond his years rabbi. Other people were following him because his teachings made more sense, while other people were following him because they believed he was the son of the living God, the Messiah. But they all recognized that he was Hebrew, and that was the context that he was in. So for the Holy Spirit to begin falling upon Gentiles the world over, like this is kind of a problem because the exclusivity is going away and everyone is universally welcome into this new thing that God is doing in the world. So for many, especially the Jewish people, this is really hard to wrap their minds around. And so the way that for the most part, they could reason this through is that a Gentile would need to convert to Judaism and then begin to follow the rabbi Jesus, the Messiah. And we watched uh, an entire church council, the first church council, like this was the first and big issue that they needed to have a meeting about. And they took the witness and they realized, okay, we thought we understood, understood it one way, we can see that God is doing something different that we haven't seen before. We can't deny what God is doing among the Gentiles, but we can't deny who Jesus was and the context that he taught in, right? So it becomes the central question, who gets to be in? Who gets to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Who gets to be saved, in other words? And as we will see, this was always a disagreement. So when we get to the writings of Paul and as we start moving through the different letters that he is sending to specific churches, we will notice that the argument was an intense one because people were coming in behind Paul and telling people, uh, Gentile or not, you got to get circumcised. Gentile or not, you basically have to become Hebrew and follow the Hebrew customs. This caused a tremendous amount of confusion, but also seriously, seriously made Paul angry. So there were these conflicts about who gets to walk with Jesus. And if we're honest and we look throughout our world today, 
we're, we're still fighting the same battle. We uh, certainly aren't uh, these days, for the most part, trying to get people to convert to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. As it turned out, and we'll see why as this story continues, the Jewish people mostly abandoned the idea of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who died to take away the sins of the world. It largely, as time went on, became something that was predominantly Gentile. And that is the way of the world today. But we're still arguing about who gets to be in. And sort of uh, creating these grids in our minds about how much tolerance we can take for a person who doesn't believe the way that we do. Like, do we say, well, you don't believe the same theological points on the Trinity, so you must not be a Christian. Or you don't uh, see the doctrine of original sin the same way that I do, so you must be going to hell. On the one hand, we could say, well, this kind of vigorous debate has always been a part of uh, our faith journey and the story of our faith in Jesus. And yet it, it was Jesus, like whether you're Jew or Gentile, it was Jesus uh, who told us that the world would know us by our love for one another. Our disdain and disregard and dislike for one another are what's most easy to see in the world today. I mean, troll the internet for five minutes and you can find it. Vigorous debates among believers who seem to be convinced that it is their job to inform other believers that that they will be cast into outer darkness. It's not helping. I've actually had many conversations with people who love to do that kind of debate. And they're like, well, we do this kind of debate. We do this vigorous kind of debate so that the world won't be deceived by the inaccuracies of everybody else. And I'm like, the world doesn't care at all what you have to say. They don't want any part of this. Sometimes I wish, uh, as believers, we were forced to have a bumper sticker on our car. You you know how you're driving along and there are delivery trucks? It's like, or or, or school buses, or what? how's my driving? If there's a problem, call 1-800, you know, 1-2-3-4-5-6-7. I wish we had to all have those bumper stickers. Maybe on our foreheads, even sometimes. How am I loving? If there's a problem, call 1-800-1-2-3-4-5-6-7. How would that go for you on any given day? Because you will be known by your love. At least if you believe in Jesus, if you believe the words of Jesus, then uh, we will be known as disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. The early church had to deal with these kinds of issues It's been a part of our story. And yet Jesus couldn't have been more clear about the posture of God's kingdom and the importance of actually loving those around us. 
So I, I don't know if I can uh, plant uh, something in your mind, but I wish that when you wake up in the morning, you would think, how am I going to be known by my love today? And when you put your head on your pillow at night and you're saying your night-night prayers, I wish you would think, was I known by my love today? And so Jesus, obviously, as we read the stories of your life and ministry, you were known by your love and you were known because you were true. There was nothing false in you. It seems like every day we're like juggling the false and the true, right? the shadow and the light. And we can even think that we are uh, shining the light when we're actually spreading the darkness. We so easily forget the fact that we will be known by our love for one another. So come Holy Spirit and help us be known today by our love in every way. We ask this in your name. We ask Holy Spirit that you would come because we'd we can't, nev- we can't do this on our own. Like We forget. Uh, we don't have the discipline. We get too angry. We get pulled in so many directions. We forget. So the next thing you know, we find ourselves condemning one another instead of loving each other. And uh, we get ourselves twisted so backwards so quickly. Holy Spirit, come. We will be known by our love. Love is the currency of your kingdom. Not being right. Not dogma. Not doctrine, not being the sheriff at the gate of who gets to be in and who doesn't. You are the judge. We will be known by our love. Let us love today. We ask in your precious name. Amen. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one.
Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our